4 o'clock football frenzy is presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. All right, let's continue our Coconut Company countdown from 32 to 1, our CNC NFL power rankings. The Jets are up. They're number 27. Now, keep in mind, we all voted on this. Um, they're number 27, and I actually had them at number 8. I'm kidding. Um, Everybody else had them at 32, so... I had them in the 20s. Uh, Some people may not have voted, uh, but yeah, they're 27. Does that seem way off to you? Should they be lower? Should they be higher? I mean, I feel like the the bottom, like, six teams are about the same. They could be... I think they're in the bottom five. They could be lower if Zach Wilson doesn't work out. And my God, if he gets hurt. Dan Leberfeld has covered the Jets forever, so he's seen all the trials and tribulations. And Dan uh, has Jets Confidential. He's at Jets Whispers. Up on Twitter, he's on SiriusXM, and he gives us a couple minutes here out in Vegas. Dan, how you doing, buddy? Good. I want to apologize on the air for last night. I was supposed to be on, and I had a family situation, and I ran out of the house without my phone, and I have no phone. I'm like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? So I apologize, and for Jet fans, hopefully they'll show up uh, better this year than I did last night. Ah, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Is everything okay? Everything work out Okay. Yeah, everything's fine. It was just I ran out without the phone, and I was like, what am I going to do now? But I'm glad we're able to work it out. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, you know, a big part of this conversation is going to be about the Jets selling hope, and, you know, they they drafted uh, Wilson. First of all, tell us why there was a, a, you know, a delay for a few extra days here and just getting the deal done. Well, I think the Jets, uh, like a lot of teams, are dead set on – having that offset language in the contract where if they release the player in in like the third year, the new team that might sign him, that money will be paid by the new team and not the Jets. That's common with a lot of teams. And then there was a debate over the bonus and when it would be paid out. So it was only a two-day holdout. I don't think it's going to impact him long-term. Obviously, it wasn't ideal when you have a rookie quarterback who you want to start immediately for having to have him miss that time. But in the long run, I don't think it'll make that big a difference. So, for, I think me and Steve both arrived on the same first question, although it may have been addressed today by the Jets. But, like, what on earth is the plan if he can't play or is hurt? Well, I have to say this because I've been there all spring and at training camp this summer. And even last training camp, a player by the name of Mike White, who you guys have heard of, played at Western Kentucky before that University of South Florida. He was a fifth-round pick of the Dallas Cowboys in 2018. In my worldview, from what I've seen, he's looked very good out there. I know you might not see that in other places. He's 6'5", about 230, can make all the throws, goes through his progressions nicely. But the caveat there is when I saw him last summer, this summer, in the spring – there were no games. He hasn't played in the game for the New York Jets in the preseason. So let's see what he does in the preseason with opposing pass rushers with bad intentions coming after him. But the man has looked good. I'm not going to say he should be the number two until I see him in the preseason games. As you know, they signed Josh Johnson, who's been on half the league so far. <laughs> but Mike White has been better than advertised so far. We'll see where that goes. And as far as Zach Wilson, you know, he should be the starter, 99% chance he is the starter. But who knows how he'll do on the NFL level. That's still a gray area. A lot of potential, but we all know a lot of quarterbacks 
come in and you don't really know if they could play on the NFL level transitioning from college until they actually do actually do it. So let's see if he can do it. I, I will admit that my question marks about Zach Wilson are ridiculous and probably unfair, uh, but the tools are there. Like we, we've seen them, the tools are definitely there. I'll, I'll ask it this way: How do you how do you think he carries himself right now? It's very hard to say with our limited access. You know, we have the press conferences uh, maybe once a week with him, and the way things are these days, you know, we used to be able to go in the locker room. I understand why we can't. Not disrespecting that process. All I'm saying is, you really don't get to know players as well as you used to seeing them in the locker room, how they interact with their teammates. So as far as Zach Wilson as a leader, as far as Zach Wilson as a teammate, it's very hard for me to comment just yet. It sounds like you might have some concerns about his personality. <laughs> is that what you're getting at, Adam? Yeah, I mean, let, let's be more direct. Is is he cut out to play in New York for the Jets? And is he going to command the respect of the team? He did it at BYU. But from a personality standpoint, like I think Adam looks at him like he's a babe in the woods and he's just going to be overwhelmed well, by he, the NFL scene. He looked he looked like he was intimidated being around other top draft picks at the draft. He looked like uncomfortable. Yeah. And then the first thing he talked about was like, man, there's a lot of cars around here, a lot of traffic. Like, okay, man, you have to get used to a lot more than that if you're going to be a quarterback in New York. Yeah, there's no question it's a quantum leap coming from where he came from. Obviously, BYU is a very good program. But I'd be more concerned if I were a Jet fan or the team until he proves himself with the level of competition. You guys know so well because you guys are all over these college conferences and these schedules, the type of teams BYU played, especially last year. It's one thing to beat up on Troy and who else? Texas San Antonio, Texas State. But now the New England Patriots and whether they are good or not at the quarterback position, that remains to be seen. But we know Belichick's defense can make quarterbacks see ghosts, and that happened to a prior Jets quarterback. Miami is loaded on defense, and you you talk about the type of teams he's going to play this year. It is so much different than what he played on BYU's schedule last year. I'll never forget that Boca Raton Bowl, and it's not his fault, but the receivers were flat out wide open in that game. The windows are going to be a lot smaller on this level. What do you think about what they did to improve at wide receiver, both in the draft and through free agency? Well, I think their wide receiver room is fine. You know, I was wondering if they should trade Jamison Crowder, the the really good slot receiver who was their leading receiver the last two years, and they picked Elijah Moore, who's looked excellent in training camp out of Ole Miss, their second-round pick. So a lot of people thought, hey, maybe you release Crowder or you trade him. I thought they should try to trade him to the Green Bay Packers because we all know they were lacking a slot receiver. That's one of the reasons they bought, brought back Randall Cobb. But they kept him, and watching him in training camp, it looks like a brilliant move because he looks as good as he did the previous two years. He consistently gets open. He's not only a really good player, but he's a good leader and a really good mentor to Elijah Moore. So I think that with Elijah Moore and Jamison Crowder, and I know some people are wondering about Denzel Mims. I think he'll be fine in time, but he's learning his second offense in two years. And let's not forget, Baylor basically draws plays in the sand. I don't even know if they have a playbook. So he's still getting comfortable in his second complicated playbook in two years. So I think Denzel Mims will be fine in time. Corey Davis is a seasoned pro coming off of the Tennessee Titans. I think they have more than enough talent 
at the wide receiver position. And a guy not to sleep on is Keelan Cole, the former Jacksonville Jaguar. All he's done in training camp is consistently get open with excellent route running ability, and he basically catches everything thrown his way. Is it the best receiving core in the league? Perhaps not, but it's more than adequate. I'm talking about the Jets, doing a Jets preview. Uh, this guy is Jets Confidential. He's been around the team forever. It's Dan Leverfeld on Cofield and Company. All right, before we get to the defense, let's talk about leadership. Um, clearly, Adam Gase was not a good communicator. Weird guy. Uh, your early impressions of uh, Robert Sala and the energy he brings and his communication skills. Yes, superb communicator. You know, he is definitely taking a 30,000-foot view in terms of coaching this team. He obviously made his bones as a defensive coach and was a really good defensive coordinator with the San Francisco 49ers, but he made the decision right out of the gate that he was not going to call the defense because he wanted to coach the whole team. And, Steve, you know so well, being a Jets fan, that the last few head coaches were kind of taking a myopic view of things when you look at you know, Rex Ryan on the defensive side of the ball, Todd Bowles on the defensive side of the ball, and, of course, Adam Gase on the offensive side of the ball. This guy is coaching all three phases. He hired Jeff Ulbrich, and I'll throw this out there because I know you have a lot of people from Hawaii in your market. The former Hawaii Rainbow star, Jeff Ulbrich, played for the 49ers. He's going to run the defense, former Atlanta Falcons assistant, and Salah will be involved. You know, he'll be in the defensive meetings. He'll put his two cents in, but he'll let Ulbrich run the defense, Mike LaFleur run the offense, and Brad Boyer run the special teams, and he's going to coach the entire team. And he'll jump in there now and again to give a pointer to a player like today, the a guy you guys know so well. He played for the Vegas Raiders last year, LaMarcus Joyner got beat in the end zone on a play by, I believe, Elijah Moore. And Salah goes over, talks to him for about two minutes, gives him some coaching points, and then goes back to overseeing the whole practice. So Salah is an alpha dog. There's no question about it. Uh, He learned a lot from Kyle Shanahan and Pete Carroll, how to build a culture. And that's one thing they need real bad. I know some fans get tired of that culture thing, but it is real. You guys know about it. You know, trying to get UNLV back up and running as a strong program. You need that culture, and I think Salah is a true culture builder, and that's what he's doing leading this football team. I'm still just shocked to hear LaMarcus Joyner got beat for a touchdown. That's very surprising. I know uh, you I knew you guys uh, would like that. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think that the front seven is going to be really good for the Jets, right? If, if, you know, if, if what we see on paper holds up, they should be good, but can they cover anybody? That You put it perfectly there. The front seven – has a lot of talent. When you look at the defensive line, if they can stay healthy, I mean, I guess that applies to every team and every position group with every team, but you look at the Jets' defensive line, this could be the best group they've had in a number of years. The combination of Quinn and Williams right now is in the rehab area working with the trainers coming back from foot surgery, but he should be ready for the opener. You combine him with Sheldon Rankins, who also has had some injury issues with the New Orleans Saints, but if those guys are healthy, they're two freakish 300-pounders with great quickness into gaps, and that's what Salah and Ulbricht need in their defense, which is kind of that Pete Carroll defense where you attack upfield a lot. So very talented at defensive tackle. And another guy to keep an eye on at defensive tackle is Foley Fadakasi, who really came into his own last year, the former UConn standout 
who is a huge, athletic, tough defensive tackle. So they're strong at defensive tackle. And then Carl Lawson never had gaudy sack totals with Cincinnati, but he's a guy that consistently gets in the backfield and disrupts things. And if he doesn't bring the quarterback down himself, Lawson creates sacks for other people. Uh, the other end could be Vinnie Curry, but he's hurt right now. But they have other guys in the pipeline as well. So their defensive line should be good at linebacker. C.J. Mosley was definitely overpaid by the former GM, Mike McCagnin. $51 million guaranteed for an inside linebacker is a little ridiculous. But that doesn't demean or minimize his talent. He's a very good player. He's lost weight to fit into the new system. He's about 230 now. Jared Davis, the former first-round pick of Detroit, will be inside with him. Jared Davis was in the wrong system with the Lions under Matt Patricia. He's another fast-run-and-hit linebacker. And they drafted a couple safeties, uh, Florida State's Hamza Nazarilladine and Jamie and Sherwood, and they're making them linebackers. And one of those guys should start at the other linebacker spot. So I think the front seven will be strong, but the secondary, not sure who the corners are going to be. And at safety, I think they actually should be pretty good safety. While LaMarcus Joyner struggled at his nickel with the Raiders, I think he's better at safety. They think he's better at safety. He's going to play safety with Marcus May who's not thrilled about his contract situation, but he needs to suck it up and have a good year to get a big deal next year. So they think safety's strong, the front seven strong, a lot of questions a corner. Dan, over-under win total is six. Where are you going? It's so tough, and I don't want to cop out because you look at the quarterback position obviously being the most important slot in NFL football, and I don't know what to expect from this rookie quarterback now if i told you they were going to have six wins that probably doesn't help anybody right no (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's it's such a hard team to figure if you you know if the quarterback was settled science and you knew exactly what you were getting you know like Patrick Mahomes in kansas city or that or one of those quarterbacks where you truly know this is what he does russell wilson it's so hard to predict an over-under on a team when you don't know what the quarterback is going to do. Are you guys going to let me off the hook with that answer? Yeah, I just I think you're saying under, but <laughs> you don't want to say I'm going because I'm going under, and I I have uh, you know I'm trying to be optimistic, but I think this year is going to be a little bit rough until until we. Uh, I think Wilson's going to take a year or two to really get his legs under him. Well, I would say that I would lean towards the under because in a passing league, yeah. when the quarterback is a question mark not because of lack of potential, but because of lack of experience. And the cornerback position is a question mark in a passing league. That's not an ideal combination. Yeah, nightmare. Uh, Tell people how they uh, they can get Jets Confidential and what's in there. Yeah, uh, Jets Confidential is a monthly magazine. We've been around for about 25 years, back to the Rich Kotite days, believe it or not. (laughs) And people can go to our website, jetsconfidential.com, or... Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, or there's a phone number to call, uh, regular business hours, if people want to subscribe via the phone, and that's 1-800-932-4557. That's 1-800-932-4557. I feel like uh, uh, one of a, a Las Vegas commercial pitchman on one of those. I think you have a lot of commercials with 1-800-932-4557. So I guarantee the under. magazine, and we also have a website. There you go. Well, the fact that you mentioned Kotite and you're still doing it, God bless you. 
because I might have I might have thrown in the towel at that point. Well, Steve, uh, not to pat ourselves on the back, and maybe I'm half joking here, just to yeah. go along with it here, but maybe that speaks to the quality of the product that we survived exactly. all that. Exactly. Thanks, Dan. That was awesome. Appreciate it. Anytime, Stephen Adam. There he is, Dan Leverfeld. Been doing Jets confidentials like he uh, like he said there for 25 years, and uh, it speaks to the quality of the product, and also that Jets fans are super passionate and gluttons for punishment. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. Now, back to Cofield and Company. It's really good to see the transition and really good to talk about some of the things that transition from from summer training and our summer phase to football and uh, a lot of little coaching points there it is different different mindset there's different uh, functionality to it seeing our guys go through that today after a real offseason has been exciting hey, there you go UNLV football coach Marcus Arroyo very fired up very fired up first day of practice for UNLV uh, Raiders are like what eight days in uh, lots to talk about with both as a uh, Newcomers potentially, potentially. I mean, I think Tate Martell is going to be with the with the Rebels. He wasn't out there for the early portion of the practice, but uh, we were told that he came out a little later on once we were gone. Uh, not cleared yet, so uh, actually not in drills. And then Adam had the report earlier, or lots of people had the report. Raiders are at least looking at former superstar defensive lineman Gerald McCoy as an option on the interior of the defensive line. But football is here, and I know, you know, Adam gets all fired up as a as a beta male. Um, excuse me. <laughs> it was, uh, you, you know, you could feel it at the UNLV practice. Uh, and Caleb Herring knows all these feelings when you come back for a season. What's up, buddy? What's up, guys? How you doing, man? I, yeah, this, this time of year is great for me right now, right? Like, football right around the corner, camp starting. It's it's like the best feeling now, looking back high. One of the the cherished memories of my youth, if you will. It's it's awesome this time of year. I will say that, you know, you forget, and you guys don't because you, you the pads are on, but, man, the conditioning early on and that freaking just the shock of, like, 100, 101 at 930 in the morning uh, when you're first coming out must be like, holy crap. Like, no matter how much you condition, are you really in condition to practice in that? Yeah, so you can tell the guys that went home, I guess, during the summer, if if you if they went home to condition, because there's no way you can simulate Las Vegas heat, right? And there's very few inhabitable inhabitable places on Earth that get this hot. Like nobody lives in hot places like this. I mean, outside of like Phoenix or other places in Arizona, you're not going home for summer break or on vacation anywhere that's this hot typically to go work out and train. So. Yeah, you can definitely tell that it, it takes its toll on people. And um, I, I just remember all the time during fall camp, like the beginning of fall camp, because it's still hot in the fall in Vegas, right? So I remember the beginning of fall camp, the only thing you'd hear like over and over is hydrate. Because, you know, especially yeah. when the pads get on, you don't realize how much you sweat when you got, you know, 30 pounds of pads on until you take your pads off and you realize how drenched your undershirt is, right? So hydrate, hydrate, hydrate is all you hear. And, as, and you know, like as a kid, you you never even think about things like that. You just go 100 miles an hour. You're 18, 19 years old. You're just going, right? You forget to hydrate. Out here, it's, like, mandatory to prevent cramping. And I, I, the amount of full-body cramps that I witnessed at UNLV and my time at UNLV was just crazy. I, and and when you, once you see it, you'll never forget it. So, 
yeah, training in the heat is definitely different. And being conditioned and in shape for it is almost impossible unless you're out there training in the same element. You know, this is a real quick. This is going to sound like a weird question because I was thinking about when it was you know hot out there and I see all the guys sweating. Um, Allegiant's going to be awesome, but there there had to be a little at least in September, like a little bit. And let's not joke about results, but a little bit of a home field advantage to being on the the hellish carpet at Sam Boyd when the opposition come in and they're like, oh my god, why are we playing this game at you know four o'clock Pacific or one o'clock Pacific or sometimes even at seven o'clock Pacific? It would still be like ninety five degrees down there. Yeah, and I think the, the late games were even more of an advantage, right? Because most people, for most places in, in the U.S., when the sun goes down, the temperature drops. Not here, right? Like, if, if it's 7.30, you know, it's dark outside, and you're breaking a sweat just walking from the sideline to the field, it's like, well, wait a minute, what is this? What's this? this is a different kind of heat. I'm not familiar with this. It definitely plays a role, in, especially when you get into, you know, close games late, where uh, early in the season, hopefully, there's, there's some close games, right? So you get those close games, and in the fourth quarter – the other team's gas. They're dehydrated. The amount of cramps, the amount of times where the game has to stop because somebody's cramping up on the other team, just not prepared for the amount of hydration you're going to need in those elements, is at a, especially at a night game early in September like that. It, it, it is somewhat of an advantage. Now, climate control for everybody? Come on. Home field advantage. It disappears with that, right? Well, I'm asking this for a reason, but you, you were, when you were there, you were training in Ely during the fall, right? Yes. Uh, so, some advantages... Temperature-wise, but sanity-wise, I don't know. <laughs> You're right. Well, I mean, I, I asked because I, I think about it with the Raiders, too, uh, where they're going super early in the morning uh, just because, you you know, you don't want to be training when it's 115 degrees out. But but people keep asking me, shouldn't they be training when it's the worst conditions? Doesn't that get you in better shape? Doesn't it get you more ready? Like, isn't there a point of diminishing returns, though, where it's like, hey, this is not helping? Yeah, that, and that's the point. I think, you know, the trial by fire type of thing, that sounds good in theory when, you know, you need to prove your toughness. Uh, an, an NFL team um, that you've drafted and selected from the best of the best, college athletes or otherwise, or, or free agents, the level of conditioning and personal health responsibilities from the offseason is more individual than I think it is the responsibility of the coach or the, the circumstances to get. When you're in a professional setting like the NFL, the priority is to insert offense, to establish rhythm, establish chemistry, uh, sort out the depth chart, and, and really start game planning for that first game of the preseason. Right? It's a lot different than college. You're not trying to put people through the gauntlet and prove anything physically in, in fall camp. Right? You're trying to be as comfortable as possible, make it out of camp healthy, number one. That's, that should be every coach's number one priority is to make it out healthy. Um, and then you know have the things installed that you need to. You're not trying to shake out any weakness of your teammates or of your players in fall camp at the NFL level especially. And I really don't think you should be doing that in fall camp uh, uh, at the college level either. I think there's, there's winter conditioning and summer conditioning for that stuff. At this point, it's get the team together, figure out who's going to be filling out the depth chart at what spot, and, and start game planning for week one. That, that's what fall camp really should be about. Caleb, put us in the position of Tate Martell, who wasn't out there today, not sure when he's getting cleared, but – uh, his mission is to try to learn this whole thing, win over his teammates, win over the coaches, and do so in like 30 or 40 days to get playing time early in the season. Yeah, there's there's a tremendous amount of pressure on Tate. And I, I want to overblow this, but I think there's so many different angles to take on this, right? There's the production on the field. One, he's got to just be basically firehosed a playbook and a scheme and trying to catch up to where everybody else has been for over a year on the calendar, right? They've been digesting the playbook and learning things. 
So he's behind the eight ball on that, right? However, to whenever the point that he's eligible to come on the field, he has to have certain elements or a base understanding, at least, of the playbook in very limited time, right? He's basically dealing with, uh, you know, the, the restrictions of COVID last year where nobody had an offseason, and you just walk right into fall camp, and, and, and there it is. There's the playbook. So there's that aspect of it. Then, like you said, winning over the locker room. No matter how much he was a celebrity to the Las Vegas community or how much how well-known he was to, you know, to the people that know Tate Martell and his Bishop Gorman career, there's people that have never seen him play, right? Because the people, the players in the locker room are not all from Las Vegas. Uh, they weren't responsible or had any idea that Tate or following Tate Martell's career. Maybe his name was in the paper. They've heard the name, but they don't know him like that. So th- there's the chemistry issue that he has to overcome. Then off the field, which is also a part of it, there's, there's off the field pressure too. There is the pressure from the community that does know him and does know him as Tate Martell, the undefeated Bishop Gorman star quarterback uh, coming out of high school that have that kind of expectation for him and that him coming home was like, sound the victory bells, right? We've got a good one. We've got a winner here. He's going to produce instantly. There's that pressure to perform while also trying to balance the humility of being a walk-on. He's walking on to the UNLV team, and he's not nearly as, as much of a fan favorite, so to speak, in the eyes of the coaching staff or or the, the people that are in that locker room. So there's a lot going on that I think could be a distraction from Tay Martell, Martell the player. Um, the way he navigates this will, will definitely show something about his maturity and what he's learned over the course of his career and, and, and all the destinations he, he stopped at. Um, but I think as a man, he's, there's some things he's going to have to handle and sort out as an individual, as a man, not just as a football player, to be able to put, put his best foot forward when it is time to strap on the pads and contribute to the team in whatever capacity uh, Marcus Arroyo sees best and, and whatever he has decided is the best, whether it's as an athlete, as he's mentioned, or if it's competing for a quarterback position. So a lot of pressure, I think, for Tate Martell. Invisible pressure, a lot of it. A lot of it things we wouldn't even think about on the surface as a football player. But there's a lot of layers to why him coming back to Las Vegas and, and trying to be a part of the culture shift that is uh, UNLV football right now, I think is, is a lot of pressure for him, and he's got to navigate it and, and, and do it carefully. This might not be a fair question to you because you weren't really in that position. It might not even be a fair question to him. I, I don't know. But, like, is it possible or have you ever seen a time where it just clicks with somebody? Where it's like it's not working out and all of a sudden like, whoa, where did that come from? Uh, you, you know what? Yeah, there there have been scenarios where I've seen all of a sudden something clicks and somebody performs. If, I, if I'm understanding the question right, there's there's so many circumstances in life that you go through that shape you into the, your final product, right? There could have been barriers that held you back, um, you know, not the ideal situation as far as systems that you played in as a player. Um, and I, professionally, I think about Jared Goff in that, right? Like, there was a time when Jared Goff was a bust. Like, everybody's like, he's the worst quarterback ever. He's terrible. And then the season later, wait a minute, where, who, where'd this guy come from, right? And, you know, he got a large tail because I'm not saying Jared Goff's like you know, Tom Brady or anything like that, but there was situations that, didn't allow him to put his best foot forward. And a simple change of scenery, a change in the system, a change in the coach, was able to get the most out of Jared Goff, the player. Um, I think Tate Martell could have similar circumstances where maybe he did take a couple of different routes to get there, a couple of different chances to get there. But for whatever reason, a personal epiphany or a change in scenery, you now are able to put your best foot forward. Hopefully, you know, it's that situation for him. And, and speaking of my own personal experience, it wasn't, an outside force. It was my understanding of what was going on in my situation that that suddenly clicked, and you know, quarterbacking made sense again. And it was like this this eureka moment for me, where everything was easy and it slowed down. So I, obviously, as a UNLV fan, as an alumni, I'm hoping for Tate Martell that that is the case for UNLV. 
but then also for the individual. I think he's been through, I think, a lot more than people realize on that personal journey. And for him to have something click and for him to finally be able to kind of put a bow on his career, so to speak, I think will be very impactful on his life and his career, whatever he wants to make out of the rest of himself. But just to kind of get that knowledge that I can do this. If it is the aha moment that he needed under Marcus Arroyo and he finds success at UNLV, I think personally he will benefit from that a lot. And, and he'll be the best version of himself, not only as a football player, but as a man full circle out of the circumstance. Caleb Herring's with us, former UNLV quarterback. He's one of the voices of the Rebels on the radio side. I got uh, limited time here, but real quick, I had a – Actually, uh, it was a tweeter from out of the market saying, you know, Justin Rogers has this job. And I was like, yeah, I'm not sure about that. Um, who did you think coming into camp had the lead? And if you're Marcus Arroyo, you know, briefly with each guy with Broomfield and Rogers, what do you think he's what do you think Arroyo's thinking where he's like, hey, these are the things you need to get better at to make me super confident that you're the guy? Well, I think, yeah, you look at some highlights from, from Broomfield. First, his youth, his potential. I think the ceiling's higher for him. I think if you can mold him and shape him as Royal, as Marcus Royal uh, to, into your image, so to speak, of what you want for your offense, he's less, uh, I guess, less shaped in that way. Um, he has a confidence in himself. And I, you can see that um, when, in his minutes coming in as a freshman last year, as well as throughout spring camp, that he's not afraid to step in and throw the ball, right? He let it rip sometimes, every now and then, into tight windows sometimes. He's got a really strong arm. He, he can let it fly. And, and I think that's beneficial to any coaching. Uh, you'd rather, I think, have a guy that's not afraid to pull the trigger and to move your offense forward through the air um, as opposed to trying to coax somebody into throwing the ball that's unsure of themselves. So I think Broomfield has those elements in himself. Um, and and I, from what I saw again in spring ball, I think the accuracy that he has is, is enough where I can say you can work with that. The mechanics are there. He's sound. I, I think he's athletic enough. Uh, to get by and, and add that dynamic to the offense as well. I think well, Rogers, his his the the most the most standout image from him or the most standout quality for him is his composure. I think it it, it almost seems lackadaisical at times, and I but it's just supreme poise. I think in what's going on around him, and even in the face, I think last season we saw of not fully understanding the offense and as a quarterback, how hard it is to hmm. be poised and comfortable in a pocket when you're not entirely sure of the route concepts or entirely sure of what you're looking at um, because that let's face it that's what UNLV was doing a lot of the of last season was kind of just rolling the ball out there and playing for him to have poise in the face of that kind of adversity speaks a lot about the intangibles that I think a quarterback needs um, I would say based on what I've seen that Broomfield has the slight edge I think I would put my confidence in him just based on what I've seen in the reps count that they're doing um, it's a lot of mixed groups, so you can't really tell the way that the practice were in the spring, at least, who the clear-cut number one group is. Like, they mix the receivers in a lot and try to get people multiple reps with the ones and twos. So it's tough to really determine. But just based on the, the, the way that he gets feedback from the offense, from the, from the receiver coach, from quarterback coach, from Coach Arroyo himself, I think there's a, a lot, I would say, that has been invested in you know him being the direction. And then, of course, the health concerns with Rodgers. I mean, there, he's had a, a, an injury-riddled career up to this point, and that, that question mark around his availability could end up being what gives Broomfield the edge going forward. So I would say um, I would give Broomfield the edge going into fall camp, but who knows what could shake out. And I, I think the hope would be, uh, and if I was you know going about putting together a depth chart, I think Broomfield comes out on top at the end of fall camp. All right, Caleb. Good job, man. We'll talk to you. All right, guys. Take it easy. Stay cool out there. There he is. Caleb Herring. On the way back, a uh, quick fat pack. Uh, we found out today what uh, the big galoot, the big guy, Dan Campbell, 
uh, what he drinks from uh, wherever, one of the coffee shops. Uh, I don't know coffee on this level, but other people are telling me this is like pure insanity what this guy is taking in each day. Want to be part of the show? Tweet at Steve Cofield or call 702-364-1100. We don't mess around when it comes to food. It's the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company, brought to you by Nova Home Loans. You see a pair of laughing eyes. So I'm a coffee guy, right? Because we do the Fat Pack here on a Wednesday. I'm a coffee guy, but I'm not a coffee guy like you guys are. So sure. you lunatics who go and pay nine dollars every day, thousands. Five fifty. Okay. Okay. So you want to do math on that one? Five fifty a day. It's about eighteen hundred dollars a year in coffee. Oh, I'm aware. Yeah, I got a lot of free ones. I drink so much coffee, I get free ones. I make a crap ton of coffee at home between the little cups, like the the and about the cheapest you can get them, and then just mounds of uh, the crappiest coffee ever. But um, I'm amazed what what people take in all the the special orders. Dan Campbell's a lunatic. We already knew that. You know, he's talking about biting knees off, and now you know why. Listen to him, and you can explain this to the audience and me. Uh, listen to him about his coffee intake each day. Well, to normally what I do is I get, I'll get two venti. I go, you know, Starbucks. I get two venti of the pipe with two shots in them. So black eye and both. That's what I come in with. That's how I start the day. So. Okay, I don't know what that means. The venti is the lo- the large coffee. I don't know what you what, what that means. It's large. Sorry, I'm just doing O'Reilly for a second there. It's two larges, and then he's pumping in what? What's he dropping in? Espresso? Two shots of espresso. Okay. Is so that, is that crazy? I've got one here. Okay. It's a giant coffee. Well, I'm not that impressed. <laughs> okay. Two of those at a time with shots of espresso in them? Well, throughout the day. I mean, he's not, he's not chugging them at the... Starts the day. He said starts the day. I might be able to do that. I would be Every off. day? I mean, I drink a pot. I, I drink a pot of coffee usually. Wow. Uh, okay. In the morning, and I and then I finally eat. Or, well, I've been eating a little earlier now, and I've, I've I've found a way to have breakfast to try to round out my day by having breakfast at nice. like eleven. Oh, nice! That's good. Good yeah. way to start. Most important meal of the day. Uh, I, I don't think. Well, I'm not. I'm not Willie. I saw Willie, our buddy Willie Ramirez. He's like, like, like you guys have to get up at freaking six o'clock for Raiders camp. He's he's got like bagels. He's doing like this power carb thing first thing in the morning. It, it's actually a smart move. A whole spread. It was a beautiful spread. Spreads out his spreads are always great. Yeah. All right, let's get in Brian Blessing here in a couple minutes. Uh, we want Brian's take on what's been going on with uh, VGK the last week or so, and we'll see if uh, he has an angle tonight. Uh, not only USA men's basketball, but also some early football season handicapping. I know he's been talking to Mark Lawrence a lot, and I think they've got a really good angle on uh, make sure you do your research when it comes to college football. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Gambling. I'm going to kill your bookmaker. I'm going to rip his throat out. I will step on his throat until the man chokes. Let me tell you how. Winners, 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 winners. Free, 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 free. All right, let's get to it. Brian Blessing joins us every Wednesday. A little sports gambling, a little NHL. Brian. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Steve. How's it going, bud? It's good, man. It's real good. Uh, I saw your tweet earlier uh, talking about today's show that uh, you guys were comparing T-Mobile to Allegiant and the experience. So what came out of that? Uh, well, I 
I had Ken Bolke had gone. He was our guest today on Vegas Hockey Highline from Sinbin Vegas, and and we were talking about it that you know T-Mobile they got their act together pretty quickly, you know, getting in and out of there, uh, and the parking, the differences, but clearly eighteen thousand to sixty plus thousand is a lot different. But you know, every new stadium has issues. I don't think it's unique to Las Vegas, but you know, they do have the postcard that they wanted the picture right there near the strip. Just It, it seems like it's going to be quite the challenge. If tailgating is a big part of the football experience. How's that going to work out for folks, Steve? A, where do you do it? And how early do you have to give up on the tailgating to get there and not miss kickoff? I think that's the question. I mean, they have the lots, the remote lots, where you're going to be able to do it. It's not the same as being at the stadium. And you're right. It's It's when do you say, okay, now we need to get on the shuttle and go. Is it 45 minutes for the game? Is it a half hour? Is it an hour and a half? Like, I think that is a question that people are going to have. Yeah, I mean, you know, you think of, like, well, all my years in Buffalo, you know, people tailgate, and, you know, obviously, you know, now you know. I mean, I wasn't going through tables or anything, but you're out there throwing the ball around, uh, having a great time. You walk up, and it's snowing, and you got winter garb on, and if they, they got to scan you and do everything they got to do, and you're wearing winter clothes. That's not an issue here in Vegas. I mean, maybe somebody's wearing a sweatshirt walking in there. They got to get them in the building quicker. Well, when it comes to uh, stadiums, we've poisoned water for every other market that wants a team. Uh, Seven hundred fifty million dollars will will do that, uh, and maybe it spoiled the Bills ownership. What do you make of what the Bills put out the other day about you know threatening to go to Austin and what the the deal they want is what a billion and a half, all publicly funded. Yeah, I've lived this my whole life, Steve, and it always works out, you know. And the, the people in Austin are like, yeah, okay, great. It's first we heard about it. I mean, Austin is <laughs> nothing about it. it. You know, hand of poker, bunch of garbage. They'll be there. I spent my whole life waiting for somebody to try to come in and vulture, uh, vulture the, bill, the bills out of there. It's not happening. Please leave. Oh, please oh, leave. Stop. Stop. <laughs> he said a jerk. Good riddance. Well, that's okay. I mean, you know, I'm going to get you a Josh Allen bobblehead doll for Christmas. Make sure it says Austin on the front. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You're the man. You never let it go. No, he's never going to let it go. And and sadly for Adam, he's going to have someone to root against for freaking 10 years. Brian Blessings with the Sirius XM Channel 204 Sports Grid Radio. He's on locally on. Steve, it just dawned on me. Is he wearing like Texans garb now? Oh, uh, I'm all in. You're all in on Austin? I, I'm not a fan of – no, I'm all in on the Texans. I, I'm, oh, that's right, for a tie guy. Uh, I'm not a fan of any team, Brian. I cover an NFL team. I'm a very objective observer. But uh-huh. if there's any team that I hope does well this year, it's the Houston Texans. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're the man. You know how it works. You know how it works. Um, Brian, I got to ask you, are you surprised that uh, – you know, I thought there were idle threats that, uh, that Flurry eventually did decide to continue playing with the Blackhawks. Oh, no, he was playing hockey, Steve. I mean, listen, uh, you know, he doesn't have $7 million in a Folgers can in his backyard. You know, the money's the money, and he wants every win he can get legacy-wise. He's climbing the ladder. He wants to play for the Canadian Olympic team. Honestly, I I think he's got another couple of years. Who knows? Maybe he could even play a third year. I don't know. But he goes in there, and they built quite a good little team out of nowhere. Um, it wouldn't shock me if he was playing really well. Maybe they even extended him, 
you know, halfway through the season. But he was never not going to play. And the fact that they did everything they did getting Seth Jones, maybe Jonathan Taves comes back. Uh, all of a sudden, Chicago seriously uh, looks like a real threat to make the playoffs. How do you – I mean, I think – it's going to be tough to tell on the nights until the postseason because their division stinks, but uh, how how good do you think they can be next year? You nailed it. I mean, they're going to rack up points like a slot machine in the Pacific Division. Uh, the word I keep using, Adam, is they're different. You know, I, I don't know that they're better. I don't know that they're worse. I just think they're different. But they're, they look very good. And, you know, it's Leonard's team now. You run with that, and... The tuck injury, that's a little punch to the gut. But you get Krebs, you throw him in there, maybe it's a big, big opportunity for him. They're making the playoffs. It's I On paper, it looks like a two-horse race. Edmonton would be the main danger. But winning the division means nothing, you know? I mean, all we're going to remember at the end of the day is who wins the Stanley Cup. And uh, you, I think there's still moves to be made uh, at some point. You know, you just look at the salary cap, you look at the roster. Uh, ultimately, will be a decision at some point on Riley Smith if he's playing great. Um, you move him now, you pay, basically somebody's got to help you with the salary cap. You move him at the deadline, maybe you know, then he's a value as a rental. Or like they did with Neil and Spiza in year one, you say we're going for it, and hey, maybe he wants to stay here and we get him for a haircut, and you keep him. But... Uh, they look different, but they're still going to be very, very good in this division. Last one, Brian. We're talking to Brian Blessing here on Cofield and Company, a little uh, NHL, a little sports gambling. Uh, you know, I, I get to hear you talk to uh, Mark Lawrence often, and I thought one of the best things that Mark was talking about a few weeks back when he was talking about group of five schools, and I wonder how we approach this from a, a handicapping standpoint. Uh, Mark was pointing out that, you know, a lot of the group of five schools bring a ton of guys back because they took back a lot of their super seniors. Do you think that's going to make a difference, especially early in the season where maybe we underestimate some of the schools that, you know, the directional schools. And then all of a sudden we look up and we're like, Oh wait, they have 18 guys back who had starting experience a year ago. Now they're giving a tough time to that team that was supposed to blow them out by three touchdowns. Well, it's funny. I mean, you nailed it. Returning experience is the big thing you're looking at when you're looking at a college football team. And, you know, I go back to our days over at LVSC with Kenny White, and you look at a lot of football magazines, and they say, oh, a team's got like seven returning starters. Like, no, they don't. They've got 14 returning starters. Guy doesn't necessarily start the game, but right. if he's a nickel cornerback and he's playing 65% of the plays defensively, but he's not being counted on as a starter. He's a starter. He's a guy with experience. And you nailed it with the uh, the transfer portals, all that coming in the super seniors, and the guys that have the extra year of eligibility. Then you look at some of these teams that only played three, four games last year. This is going to be one of the most challenging and interesting college football seasons. We did the Mountain West Conference preview today, and across the board, some of these teams have like unbelievable experience. Like Wyoming's like, no great shakes, but they virtually have everybody back, and these guys should get better every year they play, especially every year they play together. So, you know, that's just one team. I mean, this is across college football. In these transfer portals, it's unbelievable. Usually week one to week two is the biggest adjustment you'll see in any wagering number, and it's in college football. I think it bleeds into week three and four for us to really get a read on, you know, what are we actually dealing here with? Because we're trying to get all the information about all these kids that have moved to new schools.
Brian, you're awesome, man. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. Always a pleasure. Go Texans. Yes, sir. You guys are your Bills fandom. Texans fandom. All right, coming back, more updates on the NFL. Uh, and I know people hate talking about it, the COVID stuff, but we could have more testing on the way. Did you miss a show? Listen to podcasts from all your favorite ESPN Las Vegas shows at LVSportsNetwork.com. KWWN Las Vegas and KLAV Las Vegas.